Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing <laughs> discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got you can get it ground you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own they've got all of the options uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time I don't remember exactly what it is but I think they express post everything so hopefully quickly perfect Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sarah and Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Recording that. Wait, wait, wait till you hear this. Whoa. I know. That started happening recently and it scared the shit out of me. I know. The worst part, so for those of you listening, uh, we record this on Zoom as a failsafe. And now on Zoom, when you hit record, someone in your ear says, recording in progress. Yeah, this and meeting you, is being recorded. It makes me scared because I feel like I'm being watched. Whereas before I was so secure in what I was saying. Now I don't want to say while anything you, too dodgy. While you stare down the barrel of a webcam. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, excellent. Pretty much. How are you, my yeah. friend? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Uh, my whole family, myself included, have been in and out of sickness for a couple of weeks, which is just fucking ball breaking. Amazing. Uh, and just a recipe for not getting anything useful done. Mm. Uh, like fluey? Yeah, basically. Um, but other than that, life is reasonably good. We've got a novice comp on next weekend. Like 45, 50 lifters for that, which would be sweet. Nice. Um and then yeah maybe on, as i was just saying to you maybe on sunday not maybe on sunday by the time people hear this i'll have at the very least given a red hot crack to riding something like 52 and a bit kilometers on a push bike which is significantly further than i've ever ridden before and i am equal parts excited and terrified that'll be cool man you'll you'll nail it you've done 30 ish yeah yeah and i i so i sent um ben cove a message yep uh the other day what a throwback yeah i know right um 
So I hadn't really spoken to him in ages, but he's a sports scientist and is into cycling and just knows a bit more about that end of the sports nutrition side of things. So I just sent him a question asking about um about fueling for it because this is like I'm I'm budgeting somewhere in the vicinity of five to six hours. Yeah, uh, I, I think I can get it done in under six hours. Um, and. I have no concept of how to fuel for something like that uh, in any way, shape, or form. Hmm. Uh, so it'll be a very interesting experiment. Uh, and I, I've certainly noticed on the bike, like about 90 minutes in, there's a very distinct performance drop off if hmm. I don't have something to like add to the fire at that point. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, he was like uh, 20 to 60 grams of carbs an hour is like the general mm-hmm. sort of standard recommendation. And he said, being a uh, an ex powerlifter with what I assume is an incredibly inefficient aerobic machine, <laughs> you should probably aim at the top end of that. I said, being, yeah, that's that's a reasonable assumption. Being a person of advanced body size. Yes, exactly. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna stuff my camelback bum bag thing full of gross tasting gels and yeah, cliff bars, and then. <clears throat> massacre my way through what's only likely to be incredibly miserable uh, i love but, oh sorry you go yeah no but I, like i said i'm excited about it it'll be interesting yeah yeah i love like you know like the concept of carving up and, and carving for endurance sports i mean like this is this is eons old you know like this is yeah. very very common knowledge i love seeing people who do this for strength sports seeing that thinking that it does anything like, oh, I, be- I better have my intra set uh, fucking honey, guzzle some maple syrup, get those carbs in to fuel my next set. <laughs> Buddy, that's not how it yeah. works. That Good 2.8 try. seconds of effort, you needed a lot of carbohydrates. <laughs> exactly. You fucking exhausted your glycogen stores. Load yeah. on up. And as I was saying to you, man, like I, I don't think I've done anything that lasts that, like at that standard for five to six hours before ever. So, um mm. Yeah, apart from what I'm going to assume is some severe chafing at some point, uh, it should be all right. I don't know if I've ever spoken about it on, on this podcast, but the only thing that I've done uh, semi-similar, um, and it's it's not endurance at all, but I, I broke the Guinness World Record for the total amount of weight squatted in 24 hours. And it was you just like- I have spoken about this, but yeah, it's a funny story regardless. It's just <laughs> seven hours of squatting. I'll, I'll never, ever forget how- bad i felt after every training session but then after the main event like that that is legitimately the worst my body has ever felt and will probably ever feel yeah yeah i'm not surprised i i was um talking to my girlfriend about it because i've been thinking about this for a while uh and then was talking to my girlfriend about it she was like why are you doing it it's like kind of because i can and then was like wait no not because I can, like I want to know if I can. Yeah. Because I really don't know if I can. We'll mm. we'll find out on Sunday morning. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to hurt, but it'll be fun. Uh, you're, you're the kind of person that won't let yourself not not complete it. I think. No, hundred percent. Like, once I've said like I'm doing this, I'm doing it. It's happening. Uh, yeah, it just might take me longer than six hours. You just thing. need, uh, in my experience, you just need like a, a viscous thought process. Oh. <laughs> Way to steal my... I, I still don't know what that means. Is this what we're talking about, by the way? Well, I like. I think so. Okay. Can you, can you then lead, please? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I'm not convinced <laughs> my thought process is viscous enough for it. Anyway, I was pondering the other day the concept of imagining your thought process to be 
a liquid and that there is advantages to a thought process that as a liquid is relatively viscous. And I always forget which way is viscous and non-viscous, but viscous more is liquid. thick. Yeah, so less viscous. We want a less viscous uh, thought process because a easy moving or fluid thought process will allow you to get to the outcome that you're looking for in theory quicker than perhaps it would be if it was a more viscous thought process because as I was pondering this, the idea of like a, a liquid being very viscous and taking a long time to fill the container that you're putting into it. Uh yeah, so it, that was a roundabout way of saying that um, I was thinking about thinking. Uh, and having been re-exposed to, well, not re-exposed, but having done things like riding a bike, uh, I went and did some rock climbing again last night for the first time in a while. I started talking about or thinking about the difference in what has made up the large part of my training history, which is pursuing lifting heavy weights where for eons, the mantra around that has been like max tension all the time. Treat Fuck your, yeah. treat your warm ups Like it's your max mm. be tight as often as you can, et cetera, et cetera. Preach. Um, and that early on in my career, that was very much like how I pursued things. And I think I'm now paying the price for that less, have more viscous thought process in the, in the process of uh, pursuing strength where I'd always treated tension and creating tension as like essentially a binary state, right? Like it has a switch. It's either you're tight or you're not tight. Uh, and I was first exposed to an opinion counter to that through uh, a guy named Anthony Lowe, who's the physio detective, talks about the idea of tension to task. Mm-hmm. And we have talked about this, I think, a little bit in the past. Uh, and for me, that idea of being able to create tension and be really tight is 100% a valid approach and the only real approach that works when you want to be maximally strong and lift the most amount of weight possible. But in that's that particular task, in almost every other aspect or in a lot of other aspects of training, the ability to manipulate that tension is actually a skill that needs to be trained in some way because I think ultimately being able to treat it more like a dimmer switch than a fucking binary state switch is going to be useful for long-term health and performance. That's the training aspect of it. And then that idea, I think, parallels my own development as a coach in terms of the way I think about training and the way I think about approaching an individual uh, client or, or a group or whatever, that my principles have gotten probably more rigid over time, but uh, more de- well-defined. And then my ability to adapt my thought process to the task at hand, whatever mm. the client is in front of me, has then allowed me to be, I think, a more effective coach. Yeah, cool. cool. And I think that kind of explains what I'm talking about, but maybe you're all going to listen to that and be like, this dude is fucking off his brain. And maybe you're right. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we did just lose half the listeners, but they're the ones that aren't loyal anyway, so who cares? <laughs> so i'm really glad you clarified like that you didn't know what viscous means because uh so earlier in the week uh, john and i had our regular uh, pre-podcast um, topic discussion and in that he didn't clarify 
that he got the viscous part wrong. And so that's why it made no sense to me earlier. Now yes. it makes a shitload of sense. Okay, I'm yes. with you. I'm with yes. you. I follow. I need a um, less viscous <laughs> thought process. Sorry. So on the topic of sti- stickiness and viscosity and uh, tension to task. Yeah, the tension to task thing is really interesting, especially um, in my, my position working almost exclusively with powerlifters. Um, the biggest issue that established powerlifters have is they're established powerlifters. And so they've been really boxed into doing the same movements for a mm. long time. And oftentimes, you know, filtering that down through the other aspects of their training. And so as part of that re-engineering movement often involves accessing new positions or re-accessing positions that have since been lost. And it's really interesting in taking them through this stability training. When I say stability, I'm talking about an umbrella term that really marries the combination of motor control, your ability to get into a position and strength, your ability to then scale that position up under load, right? Um, you know, I'll, I'll take someone through a very basic like row variation when where our goal is range, where our goal is you know guiding the scaps to the right position while the shoulder is going into a full extension. And just every powerlifter that has been powerlifting for ages, big breath, brace, everything locked in tight. So, no, 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 we got to stay real fluid. We got to stay yeah, smooth. Yeah. It's like you're the river flow. This is what we want. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it is such a but but at the same time, you know, one of one of the mantras that I am known for which i actually say way less now than i ever have is like this idea of think you're tight enough you're not get tighter yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, th- and exactly as you said that fucking applies when you've got 300 plus kilos on your back for a one rep max absolutely that applies uh, but when it comes to re-engineering redesigning working through movement um sometimes that idea of just being maximally tight all the time is counterproductive because if mm. that maximal tightness guides you into positions uh that uh uh limiting you in your progression or that maximal tightness is uh, actively limiting your movement well then it's a bad thing but the most common thing i can think of is breathing and bracing right so many people breathing the breathing bracing complex is a, is a really really intense system there's so much stuff going on and so much of fixing breathing and bracing is understanding the individual components of the system and how they interact together and so like when people breathe and brace as hard as they can they'll lock into where their body knows how to lock into. And that's oftentimes a position we don't want to be in. And so like when you're going through all this stuff, you're breathing and bracing as hard as you can, you're just teaching yourself to lock into a shit position and then reinforcing that. So like tension to task is going to be a really important concept in terms of uh, gaining control over movement, re-engineering movement and, and using that to progress forward. And then I really like how you've then taken that same concept of fluidity of thought and applied it to coaching because I, I resonate with that completely. Yeah, and I I experienced all of the things you're talking about, right? Mm. That idea of like my only answer to every question is fuck, get really tight and push hard. For sure. And um and that's really really good for lifting heavy things, but not very good for almost every other aspect of life. <laughs> uh and I think it was because at the time I had such a rigid approach to training and like understanding that what I was pursuing was powerlifting. And so all I fucking did was powerlifting. And now as I've gotten older and matured and been exposed to more and more points of view around the sport, that idea of uh, options essentially being really the goal, like what I want it from a, an ability standpoint, from a movement standpoint, 
uh, you know, a training paradigm standpoint is options. I want to have as many options as possible mm. and then go through periods of systematically eliminating some of those options to pursue one area, mm-hmm. right? That variability to specificity argument is the one that continues to come up in a variety of different aspects. And I think this is essentially just a continuum of it. Um, but it's knowing that you're going down that road of of locking everything down and pursuing that for a period of time and sacrificing some parts of that is super beneficial but then being able to come back the other way is the thing that's going to keep you around for long enough mm. right like that we've spoken about this so many times but we've been around for long enough to have seen so many people mm. come and go through powerlifting and it's the ones who live and breathe powerlifting for two years and then disappear are the ones that potentially left so much hanging there that could have been taken by just being able to moderate their approach to what they're doing Hmm. and i think that uh that tension thing early on i i still probably teach it as like a binary state like you need to know how to get tight get tight be tight excellent almost as soon as you've mastered that idea then we're going to start introducing other areas of training where it's like okay i need you to breathe through this i need you to be able to move and breathe at the same time or cyclically create tension right in you know throws or pushes or something like that uh and yeah both are really valuable tools yeah absolutely i mean what what we're talking about in terms of that um that scalability of tension it's an it's an advanced task in, in yeah. this movement game like it's not easy it's it's not easy to teach it's not easy to learn it's not easy to understand and it's something that really um it, i mean it can be bred through teaching but experience is the greatest teacher yeah. in this case so the more experienced the lifter is oftentimes the the quicker we can get them to understand how to move through this because they just know what their body feels like when they're doing they know how to feel things yes uh, even if those things are completely off and they don't know what they're doing in terms of the movement itself the longer you've been lifting you just know how to make I'm doing this exercise so I can feel this part of my body. So it becomes a little bit easier to digest for the more experienced lifter. Um, I'm always so surprised by how strongly the notion in powerlifting has stuck around of like, no, being tighter is actually better in terms of like neuromuscular tightness as in like muscle tone. It's like, oh no, my my chest is tight. And that really, you know, when I'm loose, I I really can't bench. It's like, yeah, if you spend fucking two hours stretching your pecs before you bench, you're going to have a bad time. That doesn't mean having ultra tight pecs is the answer. (laughs) So like that word we've both thrown out there now of like movement options, that's, that's really one of the things that I'm singing the loudest and proudest these days is like, we want options. You want to be able to move into positions even if you don't need to because often th- times those positions need to exist for you to access the opposite. Yeah, Can't get your knees in when you go to a squat. We don't want them to go in when you go to a squat, but being able to do that, being able to get there is going to help you maintain tension, is going to help you stop boxing yourself into positions that look like they're satisfying the principles but are actually just heading in the wrong direction um like this idea of movement options fixes so many problems i think people are just still spooked by the idea that flexibility equals weakness or lack of control whereas control position tightness these are these are things that you add to flexibility so you can decide oh i'm not going to completely bottom out i'm strong enough to control this position and come back up that's a good thing yeah exactly and that i certainly went down that road of like yeah i like i can't squat to depth with anything less than 100 because my hips are so fucking tight and my hips still like uh 
you know, measurably tighter than most people. I've had every time someone like a physio looks at my thoracic spine, you get that like lovely, oh, which is always a really exciting word to like sound to come out of an allied health professional. You're special. Yeah. Oh, uh, but yeah, like I, to this day have an incredibly tight, really lacking rotation upper back because I spent so long just fucking compressing everything into the spot that I want. Uh, who was it the other day? Kyle Dobbs was talking about, uh, I was listening to a podcast with him in it. I don't remember which one. Uh, and he was saying that, um, you know, like ultimately you, you take the shape of the task at hand, right? Like you adapt to the demands of the environment. We see, we saw powerlifters 10 years ago, who like you could see from a kilometer and a half away and be like that's a fucking power lifter mm. we used to play we did it nationals in Aubrey one year played fat or power lifter uh, <laughs> which is a fucking excellent game to play on the streets of somewhere like Aubrey um, but the two things look very similar right or they did at that point because you you'd get this like waddle you get the like real rigid upper body doesn't really yeah. reciprocally rotate like slightly externally rotated feet yeah. chest out waddling yeah. yeah yeah knees hardly bending yeah like- exactly all of the all of those things that are either characteristics of some dude who got real massive real quick and cannot handle himself in space other than straight up and down with a barbell on his back uh-huh. or someone who got excessively fat through uh increased calorie consumption but um the two things come together because the the one is because you put demands on the system externally you've put all these loads in place you've gotten really big and and strong in most cases quickly and then in the other one you've added a bunch of weight that's changed the morphology of your body and then your body's had to adapt to the system as well Mm. Now we see powerlifters who are way more interested in actually being able to still move. And you can still see the occasional, it's, it's almost always men who got big very quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if we wanted to, we could sit here and name a few people, but we won't because we're diplomatic like that. Uh, but you can see the people who got big and the people who've been big their whole life mm. and like move like a human as opposed to move like a box on yep. feet. Um, and yeah, I think that the discussions from people like the compound performance guys and, and a whole range of other people encouraging people to be able to actually access these options and, and to do it in a way that doesn't involve just lying on a foam roller or mm. stretching all the time. Like none of those are the right approach in my opinion, at least to being able to move well, because ultimately it's about actively moving it's about you putting Mm -hmm. your body into positions accessing them adding load to them progressively over time like all of these things that allow you then to have more options so that when you want to push strength as your main option you can and then you can back off a little bit and build that base again and and push again Mm. i think the important thing to note with it as well is like again we're singing all these praises of, of movement options one thing that the uh the general i guess instagram or information around this is really really not stating which is important to state here 
is that just having more options, we just have to look at it as like another component in a very complex system. Like yes. be, being more bendy or being able to do your, you know, internally rotated front foot elevated split squat with a kettlebell upside down over your head and a fucking balloon animal being made in your left toe. Uh, that's, that's not just going to make your squat better. Um, and so like having movement options is fantastic. Uh, the question you have to ask yourself is what am I doing with this? How do I integrate this into a system that actually helps me improve what I'm doing? Mm. So I'm not just doing shit for the sake of doing shit. Otherwise we're just going down the road of mobility, what in the past or any other fad yeah. that, that lasted for ages. I mean, the thing in that environment is what you get, uh, coaches attempting to justify their own validity by giving their lifters all these crazy movement options. Mm. And them not actually making any fucking progress, because mm-hmm. like that's that's the thing from my point of view that is important is recognizing that they have their place in a training cycle, and sometimes their place is on the fucking shelf, mm-hmm. being ignored for a little while, while we push for actual results. Like you've mm-hmm. got to remember that if you're coaching powerlifters, you're coaching powerlifters, mm-hmm. and if they're not actually getting any better on the platform, it doesn't matter how many internally rotated rotated zercher front foot elevated split squats with a three two three tempo and you know reciprocal arm movement they can do uh because they didn't get any fucking stronger mm-hmm. yeah it's also I- not a reason to hold people back like oh you can't do that exercise so you shouldn't add load to the squat well like that's just reductionist again for sure. And it's so easy to be a snake oil salesman if you can talk the talk. Yeah, um, and it's so easy to sell results to be like, yeah, sure, you, you're still deadlifting the same way. But look at your look at your insert X crazy exercise here. Look how much better it is. You've made progress. Uh, and then when that runs out, just make up another exercise. Because th- that's the thing with these um, with these exercises designed to, to increase and, and um, target these movement options we're talking about. If I give you one, you're going to be fucking shit at it. You're going to suck yeah. at it. And like, it's really easy to sell you the notion that this is good for you because it's hard. Because yeah, it feels really hard. Yeah. Fucking earth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, but that's the thing that happened with like the FMS. Everyone went crazy on the yep. FMS, the functional movement screen, 100%. as this fucking glorious injury predictor, which turned out to be completely bullshit because <laughs> it, like anything else, is just a skill. Like all you do is you just keep testing people and they get better at it because mm-hmm. they learn better strategies for managing how to fucking put their hands on their head and step over a hurdle sideways. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't actually correlate to anything of use because you're just using this arbitrary skill as a test and then gaming the test by just having them do it a lot. Mm. You know, ultimately movement in, uh, in at least my understanding is like it's a self, uh, self-organizing system right it emerges based on the task at hand and so if the task at hand is novel then like you said initially you're going to be shitty at it and you just do it a bit and you get better but if you're not seeing that transfer and sometimes it's easy to think you've seen that transfer because you're like well the only thing we changed about this training cycle was we added zercher split squats Mm -hmm. with a balloon in our mouths and i hit a pb you go, all right, well, cool. It's fucking, it's the Zercher split squats. Let's yeah. fucking just do nothing but yeah. Zercher split squats and go with that. Yeah. 
that's just not how it works yeah forget the fact that you just trained for six months straight. yeah exactly yeah, let's ignore that it's like it's like anything it's like oh my triceps are weak on bench press hey no you're wrong uh <laughs> i fail at lockouts so i need to do heaps of truck at tricep work uh a b you know you're wrong uh so you spend six months training your ass off you know you really maximize your triceps six months later you get a five kilo bb like it was the triceps new it's like it wasn't the six months of hard training on bench press that got you the five kilos like yeah. how, how did you really measure that um the the most classic example and so people do this have done this for ages and will do this for ages in this space of the fitness industry the most classic easy to spot example of this was the power balance bands did you do you remember these oh the holographic wristband ones so it was like the magnetic holographic wristband thing the snake oil salesman and my the gym owner of the uh, the commercial gym that i trained at got real pissed off at me for calling him out on this um the the what they would get told uh, or shown to sell these things at gyms because they're fucking expensive as well they're like 20 bucks for this little like rubber bracelet yeah um is the classic pass the test thing. So that like, I'd be like, hey, John, hold this, uh, sorry, stick out your arms to your side, stand on one leg. And then when you're doing that, they push down on one hand, you fall over. They're like, now put this power balance on. (laughs) They just taught you how to pass the test. You know what's coming, so you're gonna resist it. So you're holding this power balance, they push on your thing. And it's like, what? So the the owner of my gym did this and tried to sell me one. And I'm like, hang on a minute, because I was a fucking bright-eyed, bushy-tailed uni student that thought I knew everything in the world. The next person that walked in, I'm like, watch this. So I got them to do it and I just gave them a pencil instead of the power balance thing. And they think, and I'm like, you just, that's all we're doing. We're just telling them how to pass the test. This is like the biggest snake oil salesman thing I've ever seen in my life. It's it's so easy to do that with these crazy exercises. It's so easy to be like, here's the six months of training, you're better. And it's all because we improved your, you know, pronation of your foot. It's like, yeah, maybe that was a good thing, but was it really the source of the results? Yeah. Um, It's so much harder to measure than that. And that's where where the the discussion we've had multiple times about assistance exercise selection Mm. comes into play, right? And being able to take these concepts from the main lift, because as you said countless times before, the only thing that's going to improve your squat is your squat. Because again, it's a very specific skill and you're practicing that very specific skill. But you can then take aspects of that skill and that mm. task and then scale them into other uh, exercises or other environments to give you more exposure to a similar skill that's not exactly the same but can help you develop that model. Uh, uh, Pat Davidson calls it the invariant uh, model representation. Something. The idea that you're like, you look at a dog and you know it's a dog regardless yep. of what breed it is you can take that concept and be able to develop that understanding of like, okay, well, I've done this like safety bar squat without a belt, my heels elevated, I know what having to fight really hard to hold a braced torso position feels like there. Can I then take that and that new understanding of the same skill and then apply it into the specific task, be it the barbell squat or, or whatever the case may be, right? That your concepts have to scale up and down. It can't just be this novel, incredibly hard task that then you take nothing from and it doesn't go and actually change anything. Mm. It's interesting you brought that example up because uh, for those, I don't, I haven't really said anything about this. I think I made one post about it on a story, but I'm getting mentored by Pat at the moment. And um, uh, we had that discussion around like the, the safety bar thing. It, was a, it started off as a bit of an argument, but then it turned into a, a useful discussion. 
Um, it was really cool. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to take this back as well to, to what you were saying about the same concept of, um, uh, you know, less viscous liquid uh, as part of thought process as well. Because I, I feel like I talk about this exact same concept just in a slightly different way. My sort of once annual not satire bullshit Instagram post. Uh, you'll If you go through my feed, I, I talk a bit about this concept called gap theory, which is the idea that, you know, humans dichotomize. We put things as left or right or black or white or good or bad or whatever. And the reality is that oftentimes the truth falls in the middle, in that gap in between uh, one extreme and the other. And I feel like that idea of like having a more fluid thought process to arrive at a better decision quicker is really important because like the whole idea of being more fluid is that you can bounce between you know conflicting ideas you know bounce from what you believe in your biases to what the um what the counter arguments are for those things and see things from another perspective and then put things together and arrive at a solution I, f I feel like no no more prominent is this than in the discussion of like RPE versus percentage. And it's one thing like I put it on my story. I did a podcast about it earlier as well. It's like we, we uh, you know, as coaches or as lifters, we seem to cling to one of these ideas way more than the other, which is all well and good. But you have to acknowledge that the other one exists and yeah. it exists whether you like it or not. And the more you can sort of bounce between the two and arrive at an understanding of like, oh, these are just modalities to help me achieve the bigger principle, in this case, progressive overload, you get so much better at programming. And also the people that think they're in one camp or the other in in that environment are so often actually closer to the middle <laughs> than they think they are. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, I'm purely RPE-based. Like, all right, cool. Do you predict numbers for people to hit? Yes. Because if you, if you do, you're using percentages. <laughs> yeah. Like that's because you're using the same fucking RTS table that I use and yeah. every other Everyone person else. uses to go like, oh yeah, a set of three at a nine RPE is 89.2%. And you're like, oh, no, it's here's not. Your it's it's 0.892. Yeah, what the fuck do you think that means? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then the same thing goes for people with percentages. They're like, yeah, um, I do my three sets of five at 80%. Like, you know, one of them felt harder than the other, so I dropped the weight a bit. <laughs> like, again, it's not fucking 80%, is it? Yep. You've used you've used auto-regulation to do the same thing. Uh -huh. uh, and it's that very viscous thought process that puts people in that camp of like, mm. I'm definitely on this side of the fence. And they refuse to acknowledge all of the bias within their own thought process that actually puts them on the fence. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And I mean, we've both been there. I'm sure, like I'm speaking for you, but I'm sure you've been there yeah, uh, in that sense. Like yeah. I, I used to be so anti-RPE wasn't funny. Now RPE is like riddled through my programming. Um, yeah, man. Because of that very notion, like regardless of whether you want it to exist or not, you do a set and you're like, that was hard. That was easy. It exists. And so the yeah. better you get at acknowledging, at acknowledging that it exists, if you can then you know, take that subjective rating and add some objectivity by, gee, I don't know, an RPE chart. Well, then now you can have the same language as everyone else. And now you can arrive to, you know, better outcomes, better conclusions and make better choices. And in the end, so much of it is about making a more educated guess, right? Because mm. like in the end, we've got a lot of anecdotal data that suggests what we're doing works. Mm. But for the most part, it's still like a, yeah, like this should work based on what I know. Mm. Like we're going to try it and we can't guarantee that it will because there's so many factors that go into it mm. that all we're trying to do is refine our process down to a point where the most educated guess possible is the one that we're giving at any given time. For sure. Uh, and yeah, the more... Well, the less viscous your thought process is, the more you're going to be able to uh, 
actually acknowledge all of the data that's in front of you and, and make the right decision. Mm. Love it. Be more like water, less like ketchup, even though one's objectively far more delicious than the other. Yeah, but I feel like water's more versatile because water is definitely in ketchup. You make a good argument, but I'm sticking with ketchup. Excellent. That's it. Catch I'm, up, folks. I'm being l- less less viscous. No, you're more, being viscous. more viscous. Oh, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs>